0: My own? Yeah, I think so. So I appreciate that. And I'm uh, yeah, missing so many members of the band. Can't call them Crazy Woman Creek Band anymore, but we thank Bonnie and the boys for <laughs> coming in there. <laughs> Grab your Bibles, open up to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We've been doing a series we call uh, Following Jesus in a Messy World, and one of the things that makes this a messy world is uh, all the distractions that are out there. You know the Bible uses the metaphor of a race uh, for the Christian life. And, and with that in mind, uh, this race, I've got uh, just a little video I want to show you by way of introduction for the message uh, t- today. Some of you may have seen this on Facebook around. You see the race they're supposed to do here.) Uh, um. Koira pysähtyy, Sivu. mutta tulee perille. Istu. Ja selkeästi Esmu saa heti vainun siitä, että lähellä on no niin. Hieno istu. Upeasti me menee koko houkutusten highwayn, ei epäröi life is a race, right? And one key to successfully finishing that race for those dogs was not to get sidetracked by distractions. And and for us, you know, life might not be quite so neatly and obviously divided the way it was uh, in that their competition, but uh, the same is true for us in the Christian life, isn't it? Success depends on not getting distracted. We're going to see that again this morning as we uh, work our way through Second Corinthians. We're in chapter eleven, uh, verses one through fifteen this morning. But I'm just going to read the first three verses as we get started. It says this: "I wish that you would bear with me a li- in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that uh, t- uh, to one husband, so that Christ to Christ I might present you." As a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Father God, uh, this morning we don't want our minds led astray. And so we just ask for your spirit to lead, to guide, um, to be our teacher this morning. Keep our hearts and our minds on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So i don't know about you I, I know a lot of people have played the game in their head of if I were God have you ever have you ever played that game in your head if I were God maybe you uh do it mostly i think are prone to do it when something really bad happens and they see something bad happen and they believe that's you you know something else ought to take place in order to bring justice or rectify this event and and so then we say if i were god what we would do Uh, this past week was the three-year anniversary of when isis beheaded those 21 christians in libya remember that the big thing uh they uh Uh, took uh, these Christians, the Muslims gave them the option of denying Christ and and accepting Islam as their faith. All 21 of them refused to do that. And so then they videotaped them beheading each of these people and broadcast that videotape around the world saying, this is what we're going to do to the whole world. And I know at that time, myself, a lot of other people who saw that said, if I were God... I would be sending lightning bolts to exact justice to take care of this situation. We do that when we think, you know, we have a better way of running the world than God does. Um, You know, really, that's what we're saying is that we got things figured out. And and really, it's not only in like these, these horrible incidences of great injustice like that. It's in regular everyday life stuff we do that, don't we? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I said, if I were God... I would have it rain in the middle of the night, so it would be sunny all day long. I mean, that made a whole lot more sense to me than the way God was doing things. But I'm going to switch it up to, uh, on you a little bit this morning. I'm going to ask you to think about if I were Satan. And specifically, thinking if you were Satan, what scheme or method or tactic would you use to derail people in their Christian walk. What would you do if you were Satan to not only get an individual, but maybe a a group, a a whole church, an entire denomination off track? I think our passage addresses that question for us this morning. And Paul starts off by saying that he wants the Corinthians to bear with him in a little foolishness. And he's not talking about just a dog video and that type of thing. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that he's been talking about the meaninglessness and the uselessness of trying to compare yourself with one another and self-promotion. He's the guy who, after all, wrote Galatians uh, six three, when he said, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He doesn't like this self-promotion type stuff. And that's exactly what was happening in the Corinthian church. That group of false teachers that had infiltrated there were, were doing those exact things. They claimed to be apostles, but not just ordinary apostles. They said they were better, higher, uh, of, of um, greater value, more spiritual than the apostle Paul. And so they took every opportunity to tear him down and elevate themselves. And it appears that uh, most of the people in the church got sucked in uh, to, by these false uh, apostles. However, after a severely worded letter that Paul sent um, challenging them, many of the church repented and returned to his orthodox teachings, but the false teachers were still there and a small minority of people uh, were still following them. And, and so Paul knew he had to deal with these guys. And so the, the last uh, four chapters of Second Corinthians is really focused on that small, minority. And, um, and so Paul apologizes to the majority of people and say, hey, this is going to seem a little foolish, but I've got to show the difference between me and these guys, and the only way to do that is this, is this comparison, and so he reluctantly heads into that. But Paul wanted to make it clear, even as he was doing that, that his purpose in doing it was not just to exonerate himself, not just to, to make himself look good. In fact, he wasn't concerned about that at all. He wasn't defending himself. It was for the protection and the purity of the church. It was for the sake of the church. If people wanted to bad mouth him, uh, uh, but they were still preaching the truth of the gospel, well then he would just ignore that. He, he really wouldn't care about that because he just didn't care what other people thought about him. And, and we, we, we know that's true because that actually happened to him once. When he was sitting in prison in Rome, he spoke about two different groups of people that were in that city that were out there preaching the gospel. And one group was preaching the gospel from, from pure and from good motives. And he commended that group and, and said that was awesome. But uh, then listen to Philippians 1.17. He says, the former, meaning the other group, Group uh, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Uh, these guys somehow thought that they were better than Paul. Why? Because Paul was stuck in prison while they were out doing work and ministry. So obviously that made him better, and somehow they were, they're actually trying to use that to rub salt in the room, to, to, to just rub his nose in it, thinking that that would cause distress to Paul. And I don't know about you, but my first question is, why? Why would, why would people do that, especially Christians, right? I mean, these are people preaching the gospel. And you know what the answer is? It's because sometimes people do stupid things. That's the answer. E- even Christians, right? I mean, if you've never said or done something that deserved the dumb label or the what-were-you-thinking response, well, then you're a better person than me because I know I've done that multiple times, even as a Christian. But, but look at how, how Paul responded in this situation, right? He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In this, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He didn't care. As far as defending himself, defending himself didn't make any difference. Uh, he could care less. As long as the truth of the gospel was being preached, he was happy. But that wasn't the case here in Corinth. These false teachers were not preaching the truth of the gospel, and so Paul would do whatever was necessary in order to guard the purity of the gospel in that church. Look at verse two: For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, God used the example of his of, of marriage to represent his relationship with his people. And Paul's doing the exact same thing here. And, and he says this with a, a godly jealousy that he's, he's jealous for this, this whole gospel process in their life, illustrated by, by the, the marriage engagement cru, um, uh, custom. You remember, I, I told you, in, in the Jewish uh, world, in that culture, once you were betrothed, once you got engaged, you were, at that point, legally married. And... Uh, Uh, even though you couldn't actually come together in marriage until the wedding and the marriage feast had taken place, the official uh, uh, ceremony. And sometimes that engagement period would last up to a year. And it was the father's responsibility during that year to protect the bride's purity. That's what Paul says he was doing here. He was the spiritual father of this church and he told the Corinthians, man, I I am protecting you. And what specifically was he protecting them from? That's what verse 3 says. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He was protecting the truth of their relationship with Christ, which is, is of course, the truth of the gospel. And the reason he had to protect it is because Satan wanted to derail it. And he was using the same technique then as he started out with in the Garden of Eden, crafty deceit. Not just deceiving people, right? He does it in a crafty way so that you don't know you're being deceived. I mean, think about it. It's not like Eve woke up that morning and said, you know, I think today I'll rebel against God and fall into transgression. Right? She she had no intention of doing anything wrong that day. But as Satan engaged her in conversation, all the information that he gave her sounded reasonable. It it made sense. And, And so... She acted on it as if it were true and correct. That's what deception does. I'm I'm sure most of you know the story, right? The first thing Satan did was ask Eve a very innocent-sounding question. Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? You got all these trees around you with all this wonderful, beautiful, delicious fruit on it, and you can't eat from any of them? So, of course, Eve immediately goes about correcting Satan, right? Uh, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. Yeah, we, we, we can eat them. But from the one fruit, uh, from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So she says, no, 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 you got it wrong. We, we can eat all, all the fruit. It's just that, just that one Right there, that that one in the middle, that's that's the only one that is forbidden. And, and, And you see what Satan did there? In that moment, he got her to focus on the one to the exclusion of everything she could have. Everything that was acceptable was now forgotten. And her attention and her focus was on the one forbidden fruit. Kind of a good lesson in there for us, isn't there? I mean, if you find your eyes, yourself, focused on what you don't have, what you can't have, where do you think that impulse is coming from? Beyond that, and much more importantly, where do you think it's heading? Not anywhere good, I can guarantee you that. Once Satan had her focused on the forbidden fruit. Well, then that's when he hit her with the outright lie. He said, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Now, if if Satan had left it right there, uh, Eve probably still would have been in a good position to resist because it was now his word against God's word, right? Uh, he says one thing, God says another. And if he'd have just left it like that, she would have been thinking, well, you know, Adam and I, we've been walking and talking with God in the garden. God's always been good. He's always been kind. He's, he's always fulfilled everything with us. Why wouldn't she believe God over this stranger who was telling her something different? But Satan didn't leave it right there, did he? He gave her a reason. He gave her a reason to doubt God, a, a reason to be suspicious of his rules. He continued in verse 5, For God knows that in that day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, Eve says, I didn't know that. Why would God not want my eyes to be open?" Is he afraid of me becoming like him? Or maybe he doesn't want me to experience all the good things that he's experiencing. He's holding me back, keeping me from reaching my full potential. He's not on my side. He's keeping me down. Now, uh, we, don't, we, we don't know for sure what all thoughts went through Eve's mind at that time, but whatever they were, right, they were enough to convince her that she was acting in her best interest By taking the forbidden fruit. And and we can all kind of guess at at what her thoughts were because, you know, Satan uses that same type of crafty, deceptive technique in luring us away from the God. So it's the same thoughts that run through our minds. He presents truth as a falsehood and then gives us a falsehood presented as the truth. And that's exactly what Paul was concerned about for these Corinthians, his fear was that in the same way that Satan had deceived Eve, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. In words, simplicity and, 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 and purity are important. Our relationship with Jesus and salvation is simple, right? It is simple. Now, notice I, I didn't say it's easy. That's two different things. Uh, sometimes following Jesus takes tremendous courage. It can be very hard to stand up for Christ in this messy world. We may face ridicule and opposition and even persecution in doing it. it, it, it and it's one thing when that comes from complete strangers, but it's another thing when it comes from our coworkers, our, our family, or people that we thought were our friends. So following Jesus is not always easy. But it is simple, so simple that a child can easily understand it because all it takes is admitting reality. I'm not good enough for heaven. I've sinned. I've messed up, and I can't ever be good enough. So I admit that I need Jesus. I I need Him to forgive my sins and 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 to make me fit for heaven. I need Him to give me new life. And to empower me to live according to His design and His desire. It's simple. I remove myself from being boss of my life and give Jesus that role. You're the boss of me. And Satan, he wants us to believe it can't be simple, right? Right? Oh, oh no, 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 he says. It, it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you, 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 you got to earn it. You got to work for it. You, you can't come to Jesus with your life all messed up like that. You don't deserve anything from God the way you are now. You need to clean yourself up first. You need to, you know, start going to church and, and, and stop making a mess of things and, and make yourself respectable. And, and then maybe, then maybe God will uh, accept you. Or, or even after you come to faith in Christ, uh, he still doesn 't want you to think that it 's simple he 'll tell you that boy you know if you 're going to be a good Christian, well then you have to follow all these rituals and rules and programs that given. you 've got to look the part you 've got to dress right and you 've got to act right, you have to fill up your schedule with all kinds of church stuff i mean if you 're not at the church every time the doors are open you 're not going to make it you 're not going to be good enough and and, and uh, he, he wants you to get your yourself so busy doing things that you've lost the simplicity of devotion to Christ. Or maybe He'll get you distracted by seeking something more. There's got to be more. I want a a more ecstatic spiritual experience, something that's more emotional. I want my own personal miracles, you know, or, or, or whatever it is. Or it could be that It'll come in the form of false teaching, which talks about Jesus while taking you away from Jesus. What? Look at verse 4. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or receive a different spirit which we have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted. You bear this beautifully. The people were gullibly uh, being sucked in by these false teachers. That's what he meant by receiving it beautifully. These people preaching a different Jesus. Oh, yeah, they would use the name Jesus, maybe quote some verses from the Bible, or at least parts of verses, to make it sound good. They would talk about God. They maybe even talk about different Bible stories. It may look good on the surface, but then they would twist it just enough so that the Jesus they present is not the true Jesus portrayed in Scripture. Their Jesus would end up being just a good prophet, a good teacher a wise guru, maybe a political revolutionary. They'll say that Jesus, well, he's actually Michael the archangel or a spirit child of God or an emanation proceeding out from God. They'll say anything except that he is the one and only true God in the flesh. And that kind of false teaching is what Paul wanted to protect the Corinthians from and what biblical pastors are called to protect their flocks from today. Paul bolstered his argument in verse 6. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Remember, last week I said they were making fun of the way he spoke. There was some issue or problem there. And he's, he's going on saying, so what? Even if, even if that's true, even if I'm unskilled in speech, that doesn't mean I don't know what I'm talking about. I've got the knowledge. And I've proven that to you over and over again. And he's making an appeal to them to believe what he has said so that they will not be led astray. So, if you were Satan, how would you keep people from following Jesus? Oh, well, you would set all kinds of distractions along the path, along the trail, and you would make those distractions seem like the truth. So you could get them twisted this way or that way. And you would make the truth seem like a lie that's what satan does but he has another technique he he uses beyond that and and, and so i'll tell you what he does actually i'll tell you what he doesn't do because then it's obvious what he does right what he doesn't do is he would not show up as some hideous beast with horns on his head and announce to everyone hey there i'm satan and i'm here to try to damn your soul uh come take a listen to me right he doesn't do that. That's not good marketing. Uh, and because Paul was knowledgeable, he knew exactly what he'd do. So he he goes on to tell us, but if you're reading the text, before that, he he has to address real quickly a little red herring uh, argument that the the false apostles tossed out. In that day, uh, much like it is today, traveling teachers would get their uh, finances and money from the people they taught. And Paul had refused to take any money from the Corinthians. And so these false teachers are saying, well, see there, that proves that his teaching is worthless. You, You get what you pay for. This guy... He's not even taking any money from you, so his teaching can't be any good. And Paul says, oh, that's not it at all. I'm being supported by other churches. I didn't want to be a burden to you, burden to you guys, so just forget that argument. And then he goes into what's, what's really true, verses 13 and 14. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. If you were Satan and you wanted to keep people from following Jesus, you would show up as an angel of light, as an apostle of Christ. You would look good. You would sound spiritual. You would carry a big Bible and use lots of phrases from the Bible. You would tickle people's ears with those things that sound spiritual and biblical but are not sound doctrine. You would get endorsements from popular Christian talk show hosts. You would write best-selling books that tell people how they can have everything they want right now. Here's the thing. Just like in Paul's day, Satan is currently working, trying to derail people in their Christian walk. He's trying to keep people from coming to Christ too, too. Uh, we know that. But, but if you're already a Christian, man, he doesn't want you living a life of power and impact. So he'll try to distract you from the race that we are set to run. So how might Satan lead astray a person or a church or a whole denomination? Verse 15 lays it out. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. He's, he's going to send people who look and sound like Christians. They're not going to appear to be evil. You're not going to be able to look at them and say that they're, they're, they're drawing people away. Most of the times they're going to be filled with charisma and charm. And people will think well of them. And they'll talk of God and Jesus, but their message will not really be about them. In fact, oftentimes, the way it works is their message will be about you. It's about all that you have to work uh, to do in order to earn or to, to merit or heaven or to achieve status in His kingdom. Or maybe it's going to be about you because they'll tell you that you deserve to be rich and happy and healthy all the time. It's going to be about how you can experience miracles and how you can get God to do what you want. They'll tell you, that the Christian life is supposed to be about prosperity. And they seem to forget that the way Jesus described the Christian life was this. And he said, was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's how Jesus described the Christian life. So here's the deal. If people are promising more than the scriptures promise, or if they only talk about God's blessings, never talk about things like repentance, sin, endurance, being content with what you have, or if the message is always all about you rather than about our God and our Savior, well, then chances are you're looking at a servant of Satan disguised as an angel of light. And we're warned about these things over (laughs) and over and over again in Scripture because God knew that was going to be his main tactic. You don't have to worry about that weirdo that's out there proclaiming all kinds of strange things because he's easy to spot. You want the one to be aware of that comes in sheep's clothing, looks like everybody else, but doesn't say the truth of Scripture. And how are you going to know that? If he looks like everybody else, how are you going to know that? There's only one way. You have to know what Scripture says. Do you remember the dog in the video that was successful? What allowed him to run that race easy? He kept his eyes on the Master. not on everything from side to side. If you want to run this Christian life successfully, it's really simple. It's the simplicity of devotion to Christ. Keep your eyes on the Master, and you will be successful in your Christian life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this. Again, this passage, this challenge that you give. God, there are so many things that can take our eyes off of you. So many things that are enticing, so many things that seem good, and so many that appear to be right and even spiritual. God, help us to compare everything to the truth of your word. Help us to keep our focus on you that we might run with endurance the race that is set before us. We pray this with Jesus' name. Amen.